From the studios of Boise State Public Radio News, I'm Gemma Gaudet. More Idaho Matters right now. Are you uncomfortable talking about race? Well, that's the question Pastor Buddy Gehring with the Hillview United Methodist Church and other congregations here in Idaho have been asking each other, hoping to create some honest and open dialogue about race and racism. So for the next few months, they're encouraging people to hold racially conscious conversations book groups, and they're offering reading guides and other resources for anyone who wants to host one. And to kick everything off, they're bringing Debbie Irving to Boise. Her book, Waking Up White, is her story of struggling with racism and racial tensions, and she'll be holding a one-day workshop on Saturday, February 17th. We asked Debbie and Pastor Buddy to drop by today for a preview. I want to welcome both of you to the program. Thank you so much. you're so welcome. And Pastor Buddy, can I just start with you? Why did you want to begin these conversations about race? Yeah, you know, I uh, uh, have uh, loved my time here at Hillview UMC uh, and, and before that, uh, working with the United Methodist Church in Twin Falls. But that wasn't where I grew up. I grew up in, in uh, kind of more evangelical church spaces. And as I've watched friends wrestle with whether their faith communities uh, really had room for them or they really felt at home in some of those spaces anymore, this particular topic was a a huge subject. There were a lot of people who wanted to have conversations uh, surrounding race and racism in uh, deeply reflective and open ways but weren't finding spaces where they could do that. And so um, I thought this was a great opportunity to offer those spaces to friends I knew in the Treasure Valley who were looking for them. And why did you want to begin with bringing Debbie to Boise to kick this entire um, event off? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Debbie Irving's book, Waking Up White, is one uh, that I've been introduced to uh, in a few different uh, workshops and, and, and classes. Uh, But most recently, when it was brought back up, I realized the way that she shares and writes in such a almost confessional manner, where she invites you into her own journey, uh, is really disarming. And Mm. I'm less interested in uh, inviting people who, who love this topic and are always talking about it all the time into the work than I am in inviting people who've been wanting a safe place to work on on some of these topics and some of these issues, and yet feeling like they haven't been able to find that. So the disarming approach Debbie brings to this work seemed perfect to engage people who might not have felt safe uh, engaging in this sort of conversation previously. So Debbie, you say you were living in Boston when you really started asking questions about race, and, and then you you had an aha moment in 2009 that you say changed your life. Can you talk about that? Yes. So um, I am 63 years old right now. I was 48 when I had the big aha. And prior to that, I'd been on diversity committees for 25 years in the arts, in education settings, uh, at the intersection of arts and education. I'd even chaired a few. And then um, when I was 48, I was at the time I was a second grade teacher and I went off to get my master's in special education and there was a a required first course. So the aha moment was really a four month or five month period. And it was taking this course called racial and cultural identities where I thought I was going to learn about black and brown people's children so I could teach them better. And in fact, I'm a white woman for, you know, you can't see me. Um, In fact, what it was, the professor said on the first day, you're going to, everyone in this class is going to be doing a deep dive into your own racial and cultural identity. And my first thought was, 
well, what am I going to do? Because I mm. did not understand I had a racial or cultural identity. I had always been approaching, uh, talking about working around issues and race and racism as if I was this helpful outsider. That's called the white savior syndrome. And when I started to understand over the course of these four months how it really worked, uh, I was I was really aghast that I'd been let loose in the world to teach young children without <laughs> knowing the kind of history, despite the fact I was a history major, that I learned in that course. And, and so instead of going back to the classroom, instead of continuing with that master's, I set off on my own to continue my learning and to write as I went. And that's what Waking Up White, the book is. It chronicles that journey. Very much it's meant to be a 101. Just as, as Pastor Buddy says, I was somebody who I would go to some um, meetings about anti-racism and I would be so turned off because people seemed too animated or something. It uh, turned out I was only able to keep the conversation light or I got uncomfortable. And so a huge part of this project for me has been learning where that discomfort comes from and trying to solve for it. And and Debbie, with that said, you know, let, let's dig into that, that comfort, right? Or that, or being uncomfortable. Um, because in some ways, would you say that is almost a part of, of white culture is that we are all, we, we are almost too uncomfortable to, to dive into race. And, and so therefore it's easier to, to ignore it. And yet we, we have the privilege of being able to ignore it. Right. Because there are many people in the United States who talk about it every day. Um, for instance, any family of color, most families of color talk about it because they need to, to help their children navigate, figure out how to navigate this world that in many places will be hostile towards them. But for me, it was, you know, never spoken about. In fact, uh, I was brought up to be color, something called colorblind. You know, out, coming out of the civil mm -hmm. rights movement, the legal idea was to have colorblind laws. And that sort of leaked out into the consciousness. And, well, maybe we should all be colorblind. We won't see color as if that's possible. Dr. King says, let's judge each other by the content of our character. So it's a beautiful aspiration. Um, the problem is we do see color and we have color um, race baked into all of our systems and structures in the country. So why are we uncomfortable as white people? Well, if you're told that you're not supposed to see color, then of course you're not supposed to talk about it. And so for me, I realized, well, I lacked the skill, the vocabulary. And also I thought I was talking about um, people who were in, I was taught to believe that black and brown people were inferior. Therefore I was superior. Why would I want to talk about that? That's a horrible, embarrassing thing. Of course, it turns out that there's no truth to any of that. Um, and that's why talking about it is so crucial is so that we can all start to expand our story of who we are in this world, in this country, in Boise. I'm in Cambridge. When we all start sharing our stories, we get a much clearer, more expansive view of who we are as populations and individuals in populations. And, and Pastor Buddy, why have these conversations here? Because we are, you know, you look at Idaho, I mean, the majority of the population is Caucasian. And, and I would argue that that's probably why we need to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why uh, 
Debbie Irving's book, and this content is so helpful for us as well. Um, uh, we are inviting people, you know, it, to lead these racially conscious conversation book groups around the area from various different faith communities and, and, and other uh, organizations around uh, around the area. And I had a, a leader in one of these communities reach out and say, do you have leaders of color lined up to lead these books? Or uh, how are we supposed to find somebody uh, who's a, a BIPOC individual to lead? And I thought, you're misunderstanding the point entirely. This curriculum is about uh, people who are white understanding white culture as a specific cultural lens, and then uh, leaning more inter intersectionally into our full identities. So uh, every single one of us is coming to the table, both with uh, a cultural lens of, of the you know dominant white culture here in the US, and as our particular uh, our particularities, whether that's mm -hmm. a particular socioeconomic class or a background in a, you know, an agricultural versus a, a, a city-based family or all of those layers of our cultural identity, our, our gender, our sexuality, they're, they're going to uh, shape not only how we see and interact with the world, but how the world around us sees and interacts with us. And starting by understanding our own cultural location, then it's much easier for us to begin that next journey of understanding what it's like uh, to have a different cultural location for, for folks who, who aren't white, who come from non-dominant cultures, who have different assumptions written on the outside of their body that others are bringing to them as they interact with them. Uh, but to do that second work well, we have to start by understanding ourselves and our own cultural location. So with that said, Debbie, um, your book, it is very open, it's honest, it's raw. I mean, to the point that some have described it as, quote, sometimes cringeworthy struggle to understand racism, unquote. Was it difficult for you to be that honest about your, you know, really unlearning of what you had been taught to learn and embody um, as a white person? Oh my gosh, it was so difficult. So the version that that is out in the world is version 10. There were nine prior versions that I put through reading groups, focus groups. And um, I was often pushed to be, can you say more about that? I think I know what you're saying, but say more. So one of the many things I had to unlearn was a habit that is very common in dominant white culture. And that is, you know, a little bit of posturing, look good, look smart. And so the whole idea of admitting what I didn't know and sharing super cringeworthy moments, because again, I had 25 years of being on diversity committees to draw from, you know, that I could reflect back on and say, oh, oh that's what that was about. Or I can't believe I said this. So yes, it did take an effort to get to that point of vulnerability. And now I live here all the time and it's a really beautiful place to, to live actually with humility. Well, and Debbie, you write in your book about the, about racism and saying that, you know, before you went on this journey, if someone had ever called you a racist, you would have been so offended and so upset um, and, and would have said, I'm a good person. And, and I'm like, well, you can be a good person and still be racist. And, and, and so with that said, my question is this, is, is that I, I think that probably every white person, whether they want to hear it or not, it, has some type of racist leanings, not because you are a full-on racist, but because it is the culture that we were all raised in. Is that a fair assessment? 
Yes, it is. And the and language that I'm using these days is the idea that we've been exposed. You cannot be in the United States and not have been exposed to racist ideas. In the same way, you can't live in the United States and not be exposed to capitalism ideas or patriarchy ideas or um, classism ideas. So all of those ideas, they're exposed, we are exposed to them and we're exposed early and often, way before uh, we have a chance to discern, do I believe in this? Do I not believe in this? So the, the project really, when you hear people taking on, you know, trying to work, understand their bias or dismantle bias within them, it's a project of really saying, what was I exposed to? And how might it be undermining me today, keeping me from living into my own values? Mm. And Pastor Buddy, from a faith perspective, I mean, how is it, how important is it then to really be having these difficult conversations in the sense that, you know, as Debbie said, as I said, you know, most people are, they, they are good people. Intentionality is, is there, right? Um, however, it is having to really get that so uncomfortable to, to look at how we have all been exposed, right? And to say that, you know, you have been exposed to these, to these racist ideologies. So therefore, how does it impact you and how has it and I think sometimes that can be really difficult when you look at it from, from a faith perspective of trying to do your best. Mm, yeah. And, and you mentioned intentionality there. Uh, I, I lean heavily into this idea that intention uh, and outcome are not necessarily linked. And so often mm -hmm. we uh, enter into our interactions and, and, and how we take up space in the world with the best of intentions. Um, you know, the, the Hillview United Methodist Church is rooted in what's called the Wesleyan tradition. And uh, there are these commitments um, uh, called the three simple rules that are kind of at the core of our faith system. And so one of them is do all the good by you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, for however long you can. Uh, it's this long rambling commitment to doing good in the world. But the second then is to do no harm. And I think if we're going to take that seriously, uh, then good intentions aren't enough. Because if we uh, engage in a way where we're hoping to do good, but we're blind to our own cultural biases and we're uh, blind to the ways that that we uh, are actually viewing the, the people that we're interacting with, hoping to do good for uh, as an inferior person and not with full dignity and as a, another beloved, uh, you know, as we would say, a child of God, you know, um, then we're going to be unintentionally doing a whole lot of harm as we attempt uh, to do good. So I think this is central uh, to the journey of faith communities. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and it starts this season of Lent in the Christian tradition, uh, a season of introspection that really centers on this idea of repentance. And what is that if not a willingness to say, wow, even though I meant well, uh, I didn't realize that, that all of these things had been put upon me. I'd been raised and steeped in this culture. I'd learned them unintentionally. Uh, and what is repentance, if not a commitment to unlearning and to relearning and seeing differently? So we're excited about the timing of this workshop, uh, these books that are inviting people into that work. And I have less than a minute left. So Pastor Buddy, anyone can get in contact with you and start hosting one of these book groups. That's your hope. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you go to Hillview Methodist, hillviewmethodist.org slash RCC, it has all the info about the event this Saturday, as well as info about the book groups that are already going from Fruitland uh, all the way uh, to Rupert, and then info about you signing up to host and lead a group. Thank you both so much for this conversation. Really appreciate it. We've been talking with author Debbie Irving. She wrote the book, Waking Up White, along with Pastor Buddy Gehring with Hillview United Methodist Church. Debbie will be in Boise this Saturday holding a one-day workshop, and we will make sure we put all of that information on our website, boisestatepublicradio.org. Thanks so much for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gemma Gaudette. We'll see you tomorrow. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.